You're listening to You Play A What, a podcast by a musician for musicians. My name is Vincent and I play the euphonium. Join me as I sit down with successful musicians to talk about their specialization, inspirations, and career developments. Hello everyone. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of You Play A What. I've known my guest today for over 10 years. We went to school together for three of those years, but we hardly interacted during this time. Back then, he was known to be an extremely hard worker and dedicated musician that will probably live in a practice room if he can. Over the last 10 years, I have observed from afar his change of instrument from violin to viola and right now, probably just a laptop and perhaps a pair of headphones for good measure. He has taken his classical music training and expertise, fusing it together with electronic music and various digital elements to create something quite special. Of course, I had the pleasure to speak to Mervyn Wong, also known as Planeswalker, and he shared his fascinating career developments over the years with me. Enough from me now. Please enjoy You Play A What with Mervyn. My guest today is a trailblazer for interdisciplinary work in the Singapore art scene. His work has been featured all around the world in countries such as Malaysia, South Korea, Italy, Iceland and Brazil. He's the owner of the Empty Blue Sky production company which covers a wide range of work from composing original soundtracks to multimedia design to performance installation. If you happen to come across any visual effects in a concert that you thought was really cool, it's probably produced by him. Some of you might know him by the name of Planeswalker. Welcome to the show, Mervyn. How are you doing today? Hi, Vincent. Hi. I'm I'm doing fine. (laughs) I know your days are usually extremely long. So thank you so much for coming onto the show and agreeing to speak to me and uh, taking time off your very busy schedule. Yeah, no worries. Happy to have you speak to you here. And yeah, I've, I've like gone through the previous episodes and I really, really enjoyed them so far. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for your support. And I'm really excited uh, to just find out more about your career developments over the years. I think there's a lot uh, to unpack there. So um, nowadays, when people ask you what you play as a musician, what would you usually reply? Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is a little bit tricky so currently i i sort of create my own music um as planeswalker and it's sort of a blend of everything and it's more music production based and then i think the interesting thing is that whenever i figure out how to perform a track or a song and then it's always 
with different combinations of uh, MIDI controllers or keyboard samples or instruments um, that are synced up to my computer that somehow affect one another in different ways. Yeah, so it's it's sort of a blend, I guess. So from what you're saying, is there some kind of variation in a live performance for you then? Yes, I think there's a lot less control during when I perform my, my music live and there's a lot more random elements that go on and sort of improvisation elements that I put inside as well to try and challenge myself when when it's doing it live, yeah. Mm, so you're saying that there's probably a sort of reaction to whatever that's happening at the venue during the live performance. Yeah, and particularly so because I think like I really I really love performing and, and I really take from my experience previously like playing in ensembles, playing with an like orchestra, playing um chamber music, like the element of like you don't know what's gonna happen, you don't know what the conductor is gonna do. And in this case it's just me and it's just my computer. So but then the possibilities are still equally like unlimited. So mm. in that sense, I'm trying to feed off that energy as well and to bounce off the energy of the audiences. Yeah, I'm sure our listeners will agree with you that most of the times we don't know what the conductor is going to do. So there's, <laughs> there's definitely a sense of excitement and variation there. Cool. So I, I want to jump straight into your latest project under your Planeswalker title, which is your latest album entitled Parahelion. So this album consists of four tracks, which are Genesis, Perihelion, Solace, and Luna. Am I right? Mm, yeah. Yeah, so th- these titles, I had to do a little bit of Googling. Uh, they are very sort of extraterrestrial in a way, right? Mm. It's very sort of like related to outer space. Mm. So I just want to share with you my thoughts. So I've listened through the album. I want to share with you briefly uh, my thoughts about the tracks and you can let me know what you think whether whatever i said makes sense or not yeah sure, and sure, yeah sure. feel free to uh, <laughs> correct me because you know i am uh, uh absolute uh, beginner when it comes to listening to electronic music no yeah. no i think i'm really interested in what you have to say as well yeah so um with, with genesis what i felt was there was this kind of expensive energy in the piece so what sounded like a, a very small kind of motif of a germ that gradually just grew bigger and bigger and there's mo- kind of more textures coming in. And then eventually, there, it, it seems like it grew to an extent that it started having some sort of conflict or eating into itself. I don't know whether it makes sense or not. So there was this kind of like distortions uh, coming in in the middle of the track that was kind of fighting the original track. And then at the very end, it just felt like um, you were the, the space was getting a little bit narrower and narrower, and then you just sucked into something like a, a new kind of uh, dimension. Mm. At least that's <laughs> what that came came to my mind, lah. You know. Cool, cool. Yeah. Um, so the the second track, uh, Perihelion. Uh, what what I felt was this uh, constant sense of uh, movement. So of course, uh, after my my googling, I did find out that perihelion is uh, a part of the orbit around the sun, right? So different kind of uh, planets and different things orbiting around the sun, and I I I felt that there was like from the beginning you had this like rhythmic motif going on, right? Mm. And that actually lasted throughout the entire track. Yeah, yeah. So 
there, there was this kind of constant uh, you, I don't know if my, the scientific terms are correct or not but um, there's this constant kind of movement and axis and yet at the same time there are sounds that kind of drifts closer and drifts by like you know maybe I don't know a shooting star or, or, or whatnot that comes a bit closer to you and then fades off away to the background again and um, that similarly I think the, the music has just this really nice trajectory and it then gradually intensifies towards like being a little bit closer to the sun where you start to feel maybe the heat where the music gets a little bit more uh, uh, intense yeah mm. and then uh, for for solace I, I think in the beginning I, I hear this almost like a, a symphony orchestra uh, tuning kind of kind of sounds in the beginning <laughs> yeah and then uh, I, I hear this like little bit of crackle uh, which is you know maybe some kind of burning uh, sounds and, and stuff like that and then also after that there was this kind of um, like ostinato rhythm that's constantly going on that felt to me like the sun is just kind of burning and there's, there's just like this constant uh, source of energy that is uh, burning the whole time. Mm. Yeah. And then after that, the, the music just calmed down a little bit and then the, the rhythm was lost, which to me felt like maybe the clouds were covering the sun or maybe <laughs> it was nighttime or something like that. So it, it's still there, mm. but it's just not kind of in the face. And then after that, it came back brighter than ever. And then it also then after that comes down into the next track which is uh, Luna. Luna is my favourite one. Mm. Yeah, what, what I particularly enjoyed about Luna is that kind of, um, the very scratchy and slightly kind of raw sound. That was on your, uh, do you play that? Is it on your viola or? Yeah, that's, that's actually on uh, like both uh, a real acoustic viola as well as on um, an electric violin and then uh, it's sort of like resampled like further later mm, yeah. I see yeah but there's this just kind of really uh, scratchy um, sound that I really kind of enjoyed I just got this for Luna I just got this like really uh, the, the feeling of like tiredness weary and it's just uh, pretty dark in general mm. yeah but but this this is just my uh, my thoughts about the music and cool. yeah yeah, what, what do you... <laughs> uh, I don't know whether it makes sense to you or not, but this is just kind of the, the things I was feeling and I was imagining when I was listening to it. Mm, yeah, I think it's it's really nice to hear like a fellow musician's thoughts on this because I, I think I don't have that much chance to, to really ask my friends like, uh, what do they think of this? I, I, or I never really go and ask my friends like, like, like so directly like, like, oh, can you tell me exactly how you feel at this moment, that moment? So it's really nice to mm. hear your thoughts. Uh, I think, yeah, you are mostly like completely accurate and, and very correct and I'm very happy to hear like all, all that uh, because I think I was more than like um, a music like kind of thing like I think with the structure of the whole like EP um, mm. I was trying to it's you can see like some inspiration from like say like as as cliche as it sounds like a symphony where there's four movements right or or perhaps like 
some sort of tone poem where it evokes some sort of um, narrative or landscape. So I think with, with the four tracks, I wanted to chart this kind of um, story in sequence um, where some sort of arc where you're traveling and and you're exploring uh, this other world and this is your journey. And then the, the music just sort of follows you on this journey or brings you along this journey throughout. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I I feel I felt that the the flow of the tracks, especially uh, when I was listening to it one after the other, mm. that it had this really kind of nice uh, flow to the sequence. Actually, mm. yeah. And and would you recommend people to listen to it one after the other, or would you say it's really up to you? You could pick your favorite track and just listen to it, or the way you prefer the uh, tracks to be consumed. Actually, it's it's pretty open, but I, I I definitely had in mind like from it going from the first track to to the the fourth track, but then it's it's also pretty open and it's it's more like um. I I hope the listeners sort of listen to to these tracks in whatever order and let let it take them on on a journey by itself and they mm. let, allow their mind to sort of like wander like through this journey. Yeah, I, I think this is such an important element of looking at art or listening to music, isn't it? That the, the audience are, give themselves that chance to just explore the different sounds and what it means to them. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think that's, that's really important. Because I, I feel like sometimes music can be a little bit, or classical music, can be a little bit intimidating in that sense, whereby people have this idea that, oh, um, but I don't understand. But, you know, you can just make meaning out of it, whatever it is, whatever it means to you, right? Is There's no sort of like one uh, definite answer or one definite interpretation when it comes to uh, listening to music or enjoying art. Yeah, and even like in the realm of lyricless or songless electronic instrumental music, I'm I'm also facing the same um challenges in in bringing the message across to listeners. Like, so what what is it about? Like, how do I get into it? Like, <laughs> so mm. it's also the same challenges. Actually, yeah, yeah. You should definitely check out Perihelion, <laughs> which is on Spotify. I will share the link in the show description, which is going to appear on the podcast website. So please check that out. I don't even mind if you stop listening to the podcast and go re- listen to Perihelion, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, if you're interested to find out more about Mervyn's work, you can visit his uh, Instagram and Facebook page. His handle is planeswalker00 or at facebook.com slash planeswalker00. And also his website for Planeswalker which is at planeswalker.space. And of course, his website or his very own The Empty Blue Sky production at theemptybluesky.production. So all these links of his social media will all be provided uh, on the podcast website in the show description. So I believe I didn't miss anything, right? Yeah, yeah, all good. Thank you. Perfect. Great. We we move on uh, to the next topic. So... You and I, we go back a little bit further than most people would think, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Mervyn and I were actually batchmates at the Nanyang Academy of Fine Arts when we uh, enrolled into the diploma course. 
Of course, uh, at that point of time, Mervyn was a violinist, I believe. Yeah. Although we were batch mates, uh, but of course, we, we hardly ever spoke to each other during our time. <laughs> right? I think we yeah. have uh, yeah, very kind of similar uh, recollections about this. But I, I want to ask you if you remember, I think, and I, my memory isn't like super vivid uh, with this, that we did a history project together at some point. What? <laughs> I think so, oh, you know? No. Yeah. But yeah, I, but then I'm not super sure, but I think it was, it was one of Dr. Khan's history module. Wow, that, that really goes like way back. And, and I don't remember doing any history project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's ages ago, right? It's been yeah. like more than 10 years ago. So yeah, I think it's, it's some sort of comparison between one of Bach's Brandenburg Concerto with Stravinsky Win Octet or something like that. Wow. Uh, yeah. Or, or some <laughs> sort of like neo-baroque uh, piece by Stravinsky. Uh, might not be the the win octet. I, I see. Yeah. I see. Yeah, I think it's with you, but then again, I'm also not very sure. It might <laughs> it might not be. N- now that you don't have any uh, recollection of this, maybe I'm wrong. You know. <laughs> yeah, we don't have any like cross reference point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And yeah, so that was when when we first met, and then uh, of course after our diploma years, we just didn't quite see each other anymore. Yeah, and a- actually, I didn't graduate the the same time as you because I stayed back I requested to stay back one more year because I I switched to the viola uh, yeah I, I yeah. did remember you switched to viola but I didn't re- I didn't realise that you took an extra year as well yeah because I, I switched like close to the end of my second year which which in total the program was three years right so I actually requested from the head of music to to actually like whether I could extend my course for one year because I didn't I, I didn't f- feel completely confident going into the third year and having to prepare a full recital on on an instrument that though related to the violin but I have no experience on before Mm, I see. And how how old were you if, you, if you don't mind me asking, when you first entered NAFA? Um, wait, let me count. I don't even remember. Um, well, I went to NAFA straight after secondary school. So that's okay. like 16, I think 17.5. Yeah, when I was 17.5, I entered NAFA. Right. So uh, you and I, we must be the same age. Yeah, 1991. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. <laughs> because I think there, there are not too many especially in NAFA, mm. people that would enter music school straight from secondary school. Yeah, I remember our batch had a lot of varying ages and especially there were a lot more older people than myself like in our batch, I think. Exactly. So, you know, in the... I don't know about the strings department. I think the winds department, there was only myself and Joseph Chong, the saxophonist. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember Joseph, yeah. I think maybe strings there's Sanche as well. But yeah, yeah, really, really few of us that just started studying music straight out of secondary school. Yeah. So yeah, we can be I think we can be regarded as either the lucky ones or maybe the ones that are not so wise. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think like reverse question for, for the mm. podcast host. Like yeah. how did you decide to like go to NAFA? Like what was it a decision you made during secondary school or was it a decision you made after you graduated from secondary school? 
I think nearing the the final exam, mm. Mm. I I had made up my mind that I were, I wanted to go to Nafa, mm. but of course, uh, it wasn't as easy for me as well. It took a little bit of convincing of my parents to allow me to yeah. go and study music right out of secondary school. But it was very clear for me because I had, I really had no interest in other courses that were available to me. Mm. Mm. I was like thinking, oh, maybe I could do this. But yeah, I just felt like no matter what I did, I was just going to drop out at some point and go to Nafa. Yeah, same, same. I think I felt like that as well. And and for my parents, I like, definitely like, I think even like I, I remember because NAFA application starts a little bit later in the year and also the like the semester for NAFA starts like way later in the year. So so like mm. my parents wanted me to to also apply for both junior college as well as like uh for poly. Yeah. But I knew immediately that even then like I, I would definitely like go to NAFA like yeah, definitely. So yeah, you're looking at at least three to four months worth of difference, isn't it? Where yeah. JC starts yeah. versus where NAFA starts, which is like around July. Yeah. 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 So for me, like uh, yourself as well, the my mind was kind of made up. So it was very clear that I wanted to, to study music and uh, pursue music after secondary school. Mm, I see, mm. I see. Yeah. So... Cool. And now let's talk a little bit about your musical journey and career development. So yeah. let's go uh, as early as possible. Your first kind of contact with music and how it kind of grew to what you're doing now. So I think my first contact with, or before my first contact with music, I think this might be relevant. Like it's actually art and also a little bit of like, I, I think when I was like five I was doing a mishmash of things. So I think my parents enrolled me in this sort of like package where I was doing like some Chinese theater. I was doing a little bit of dance. It was an art course at old Nafa or LaSalle like course for kids. I cannot remember now. But then I remember the program was run by um Angela Leong, who is the artistic director currently of Arts Vision Dance Company. Mm. So it was sort of this like program which exposed me to a wide variety of like art forms and it wasn't a like oh just introduction for kids. It was actually quite deep back then. Like they did go very, very in-depth. Like I remember like going through the whole like classical art history and like sculptures and all that. So I think when I was seven, then I I really wanted to learn the violin. But then I had to start on piano first. So I learned piano for about two and a half months. When mm-hmm. Until when I like nearly got to the left hand and I gave up. And then I told my parents like, okay, I've learned enough piano. And like, I want to <laughs> learn the violin now, which I completely regret now. Because like having to compose music now and not like being able to play the keyboard proficiently, like I, I completely regret now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think a lot of, of us who don't have a uh, piano background would always say the same thing yeah because we realize how useful it is now right yeah cool so now this course that you you went on in in the early age how long did you spend on on this course in this particular program like i would go every weekend and like one day is like art and then dance and another day is like speech and drama or something and then so i was in this course for nearly like until i was eight or nine and then mm. also, I remember like outside of this course, I 
sort of like audition for a Chinese kids theater kind of thing, which uh then I was in that sort of like young training program and sort of thing for about until I was like primary five, primary six, and then I sort of like performed with them and worked with their theater company under their youth wing, and then I really experienced a lot of theater as well as like. Um, a lot of training on like okay what actors you go through and also what behind the scenes how a theatre production is being put together and things like that uh, aside from also like learning continuing my my like learning the violin and then mm. I was given a choice to make a decision at about like I think 11 or 12 years old like okay do you want to do this or do you want to do this and then I chose like violin okay yeah mm. And learning music was also uh, at the same place or was learning music at another... Is it the same course or is it another course altogether? No, so it was a... Learning music was a completely different course and I, I think like it's one of those things where your parents like ask their friends for recommendations on teachers and then um, they send you to that recommended teacher. So I was learning under this couple they, they are quite famous teachers in Singapore um, for violin and I was studying the sort of like the Suzuki method for violin and I I studied with them until I was like I think 12 or 13 yeah mm. and uh, did you after that when you entered um, secondary school of course you still continue to play no so <laughs> so I have to confess like I continue to take lessons because um just for the mere fact that my parents felt that they had invested a lot of their time bringing me to lessons as well as like money to go to lessons and buying the instrument and things like that, right? So they felt like I shouldn't give up the violin, although I wanted to because in secondary school, I actually was doing a lot more sports. So in secondary school, I was in tennis, CCA, mm -hmm. and I was quite serious about that and I actually like thought like okay I just want to play tennis because it's so fun and then like, yeah. I just want to do that and I don't want to do anything else I don't want to study like so that was the only thing I wanted to do but then I obliged my parents by like okay I'll con I'll not drop the violin I'll continue to go for lessons but I, the thing that I have to confess about is that I I was stuck on the same um Bach minuet like arranged for violin it was a very simple piece but I was stuck on it for like nearly like three years. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> just just because you absolutely did not spend any time on it. Yeah, exactly. I would like just go to lesson every week and I would panic and then I would eventually it would numb out and then I would actually not bother and just go to lesson and, and my teacher would be very, very frustrated. And but I in the end, right, I realized that this was one of the worst mistakes of my like early like musical development because it really it really numbed out a lot of sensitivity things because I was just tuned out to like let's say playing the instrument itself and also tuning out to practicing and listening to my teacher so that was all like just like really going in from one year and coming out of the other so it became a conscious thing that I was doing it which was very dangerous like at form me later on when I wanted to do music seriously so um, the funny thing was that when I was in secondary two I sort of like decided I didn't want to take geography or history mm. 
and I had the option to do O level music. So I I actually like okay, I'll do that instead so that I don't have to do like those two like humanities, right? So I had a very, very inspiring um O level music teacher that in the end, like through his inspiration, like I sort of fell in love with music again and that was when I sort of developed a really serious like relationship with music again. Mm. And then I switched violin teachers to someone who is still currently in SSO and I learned a lot from this teacher and and of course going to a new teacher from previously from where I was stuck on the same song, I realized very early on from that, I picked up a lot of bad habits, a lot of unconsciously mm. bad habits. And I think I spent a good like 10 years from then just trying to override all the bad habits. And these 10 years lasted until, I would say, until nearly my last year of NAFA. Like I was constantly fighting with technical difficulties with my instrument due to these bad habits picked up mm. from earlier. Yeah. And uh, I absolutely understand. I think I can speak not only for myself, but a fair number of uh, wind and brass players that came through the Singapore band system that had these uh, years of learning an instrument through self-exploration with no proper guidance from a teacher. Mm. Yeah, so actually, like I completely understand where you're coming from. It's actually very, very detrimental to the playing. Mm. And when we... Uh, go into NAFA or we go overseas or we go into the conservatory, then it's like a cultural shock, right? Yeah. <laughs> the way I hold the instrument is wrong. Uh, the, the way what I perceived was a good sound was not a good sound. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, everything was just like, your your world has just been completely flipped over. I think my entire NAFA education, safe to say, right, was focused on like fixing these issues because the problem was that they were not just physical like technical issues, they were psychological ones as well. Mm. And I think when I mentioned to you, like when I switched from the Suzuki method to a teacher that was in, in the SSO, right? So with that teacher, right, I it was funny because I was very serious about music when I switched, right? And then it was so bad that um he had to correct all like everything right and we had to start from scratch right it was so bad that um i would actually play g major scale two octaves or even just one octave uh, we stuck on the first octave uh, for mm. nearly a good like 6 to 8 months and sometimes even like it was so frustrating that it was just like literally learning how to play open strings mm yeah, and imagine like you go to lesson, right? Your teacher says like, okay, let's do scales today and like, let's do like a scale and then you don't even like get past like the first octave of the scale, you know? It's like, yeah, that was that was quite traumatizing but at the same time, it was very, very enlightening because I learned back then before I went in the NAFA as well that a lot of my problems were in my mind rather than like how I approach an instrument consciously rather than my technique. Mm. because to think that you had 10 years of habits so deeply ingrained into your mind and your body yeah i can imagine how difficult it is to kind of undo that right or not not undo but introduce a new habit to overwrite the bad ones is extremely challenging and and i remember my 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 teacher this same teacher like who who just drilled into me that 
always develop good habits and never ever let a bad habit pass because once you let it pass like it's going to take like 10 times the effort to erase that bad habit like yeah it's going to fester into something it's going to eat you up completely so <laughs> yeah definitely yeah. i completely agree yeah and i remember you enough being very kind of driven about playing the violin or the viola yeah uh, but the the kind of trajectory you were looking at was probably being an orchestral musician or perhaps a chamber musician. Am I right to say that? Yeah, and I think back then or even today, I, I must say that the standards are equally high. And, and back then without social media yet, right? Like your your even if you wanted to be an orchestral musician like for strings, like you you had to you had to learn all the main concerto repertoire. You had to be able to play that for auditions. You had to learn all your solo pieces. You have to... It's still equally as demanding. It's just that you are not um, competing in competitions for as per se like a person who wants to be a soloist. But it's still like you. the amount of effort that you need to put in is still as much. Mm. So I guess, and then having to work with a lot of um, technical difficulties that I was trying to solve back then. So I definitely felt like I needed to put in like two times the amount of effort, which looking back now was also a mistake to just like bulldoze ahead and like, okay, I'm going to practice like more than eight hours a day. Like I think that was, that was a mistake as well. Yeah. I think I always remembered you, you know, um, <laughs> ha- having that patch on your neck, right? After like oh, yeah, hours of yeah. practice. Yeah, yeah. It, it was kind of always there. And I look at you, I just like, wow, someone's been working hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And okay. So now after uh, your time at NAFA, what was next for you? What do you do during your national service? Were you playing music as well? Or you did something completely unrelated? Completely unrelated. So I was just doing um I was I was sort of doing admin work in, in a sort of like headquarters um building of, of a unit and that was pretty much my my NS life. Although I I learned a lot of people skills, I worked with a lot of people from different levels and then having to see how an office functions or how a company functions. So that was that was it for, for NS. I see. Is your vocation Admin support assistant as well. My vocation is actually storeman. Ah, like, okay. Like SA. But then I was yeah. doing like an ASA's like job somehow. Because I am a clerk. So yeah. <laughs> I, I spent two years in my national service. Probably doing more or less the same thing as you. Yeah. But the interesting thing, I, I think safe to say, like I can say this now, but... um. Like I realized that I was getting more gigs um during NS compared to before NS. Mm. And I don't know why that is, but yeah. So I, I think as as clerks, like we, we were lucky that we could like book out like on the weekdays, right? So I would actually mm. book out of camp and then go to a rehearsal and then or sometimes like go to a concert and I remember during those days I was actually like realizing that my musical life was quite lively during my NS period, actually. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I, I do agree with you that uh, having the luxury to, to book out on a daily basis is quite nice. 
Mm. Yeah, it gives you that, that free time to uh, practice. But uh, as a euphonium player, of course, uh, I'm not so busy with gigs, lah, huh? as you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of uh, computer games actually during my NS days when I returned back from the office. <laughs> so yeah. you didn't like you you didn't audition for for SAF band or uh, I I couldn't. I see, I see. Yeah, so okay. uh, I my past status was so low. I see because they had to perform marching drills and all that, and you have to be at least like past C, right? Correct. Yeah. I so see. yeah, I I didn't have even have to go. Uh, for any sort of confinement. Mm. <laughs> yeah, life is relatively easy, I must say. I'm not complaining. Uh, I, I always joke with my friends that the only thing about NS is that the air condition is too cold. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine everyone's reaction when, when you say that. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, 18 degrees, the air con is, you know, really, really killing me. Best bring a jacket along. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have to admit that like NS did something miraculous to to me as a musician. Mm. So I was like sharing earlier on like how I developed like very, very deep-seated like bad habits in violin playing and viola playing and, and, and how I spent my whole like NAFA years trying to like untie all these knots, right? And I yeah. was like trying to fight against them by like saying like I'll practice 8 hours and stuff like that right so obviously mm. when I go to NS the first panic was like oh no I can't practice and oh no I'm not in music and drama company and I don't have time to practice and, and I have all these other duties and you know so and I only can practice at night when I go home but I think soon after NS like happened I think for most of us right like it was like a, a culture shock again and then when I went home, I was already too tired, and and I, I remember like even before I was in like ASA sort of position, like even like booking out on the weekends and coming back, like, I was too tired to even like bother like touching my instrument at all. Mm, so yeah. during NS, there was this like I just let go of everything, and somehow um physically like my body the the physical relationship with my body to the instrument right suddenly open up by itself. Mm. And firstly, the tension was completely gone and I realized that I didn't have to fight the instrument at all. And when I was building up momentum to to actually like take up more rehearsals and more gigs, right, I realized that playing was so joyful. I, I could literally recall at that time like just playing the viola, right, was so joyful because I felt like I wasn't fighting at all. It was so easy to express with the with the instrument. Mm. Yeah. Did Did you feel that NS made you think um, that what we're doing is actually really not as important as you think? Not in a sense whereby it is worthless. That that's not what I'm trying to say. But we tend to think um, too deeply into music. Oh, that, yes. Yeah. yeah, we go go down this like yeah. tunnel vision, right? Where we don't see anything but to get better and to get better and to get better. And all of a sudden, when you are now in an environment whereby you're not surrounded by musicians anymore on a yeah. daily basis, yeah. it just kind of opens up, isn't it? You just feel like actually there's a little bit more to life than practicing. 
Yeah, yeah, completely. Because yeah, I, I mean going through NAFA, if if you ask me what my trajectory was like like, you know, for NAFA to become like a orchestral musician or chamber musician, like I really just wanted to I, I felt like I needed to just get better and better and that was the only thing I needed to do to achieve that goal, which which at that point of time in in the sort of like industry of things like was still possible. Like you could just be good at your instrument and, and then you could audition and you could like get your mm. your gigs or your jobs like that way and it was possible. So it was really just a tunnel vision kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I yeah. Perfectly put. Yeah. <laughs> and I absolutely agree with you. Because you think about it, uh, like you said, you're, you're practicing like what, eight hours. And I, when I was studying enough, I used to do like about, you know, four to six hours every day. Mm. I, I, I kind of forced myself to do it, you know, no matter yeah, what. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, to, to extend it, you just stop thinking whether you're tired or not. You just have to like hit that, that sort of timing or, or whatnot, right? Yeah. And it's actually a very, very long or a big amount of time. Now that I remember, like, always at, like, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, when, when I'm usually one of the last to leave, and I think you are also, like, still in, like, the the classrooms, I remember. Yeah, the yeah. one of the bigger rooms, right? Yes, so we're yes, exactly. Always, like, the last people to leave the building before, like, yeah. the security uncle will come out. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So, okay, now it's the conservatory time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I I actually during like after I graduated from NAFA and I like sort of like successfully switched to playing the viola like I sort of had hopes to study in Germany. Mm. So um I I was kind of eyeing a few conservatories in Germany. I was also learning German at that time trying to like ease my chances of getting into a conservatory in Germany. But then um I I think in in my national service I auditioned for YST conservatory because it it, it just came out as an option. So and and my my viola teacher who is um Lino Tan from the Ten Quartet, like he he's teaching in the conservatory. Um he teaches chamber music and he also teaches um viola. So um, he sort of encouraged me to just try to audition as well, even though I wanted to go to Germany. And because I could only audition for Germany after I complete um my national service. So I thought okay. like, while I had the time and while I could play, why not? So I prepared for the YC audition and then I auditioned for YC. And then when I got, when, when I sort of like received a letter like that I got in, I was very happy because I think um during my secondary school days, right, when I was sort of taking O-level music and as well as my NAFA days, right, I would actually go down to YST every exam season, right, and every concerto competition se- season just to look at all the strings recitals and look at all, like, to attend all their free concerts and stuff like that. So that was wow. a big inspiration. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you are so... Yeah, a full one geek, huh? I must say. Because I think, especially in NAFA, when when I was like so serious about like when I was tunnel vision part of time, right? Mm. I thought the best way to absorb knowledge, right, was to experience it as close as possible to the people who did it the best. And the only mm. like, I mean, going to concerts sometimes is expensive. Sometimes tickets run out fast, especially for famous soloists. So, mm. and, and then on top of that, famous soloists they only play in. Estimate concert hall which is so big and it's very hard to get 
tickets up close. So with YST, like where their concerts were free back then and they are still free now, like I thought like that's like a loophole for me. I thought that was like a cheat code, you know, like so so I would go as much as I could and I think I really learned a lot from observing how people play as well. Yeah. Mm. Now, how was it like when you were studying in the conservatory and at which point did you actually started getting into this sort of um, electronic music and music production and the kind of stuff that you're doing now? Okay, so actually like I got into... Ah, sorry, I remember wrongly. It's like, wow, it's like really long before. So I got into YC before I started NS. Ah, okay. So you already got in. Because ah. somehow, um, somehow while waiting for national service, right, it just didn't come. Like the letter just didn't come. Like all, I remember all like most of my NAFA friends like like already enlisting, and then I'm like, huh? How come I haven't enlisted yet? You know, like kind of thing. So, and then it was mm. really like late in the year, and then so I auditioned for YC, and then um the following year or something, and then I got in, and then so I actually did one semester in YST first, and then I went for national service. Ah, okay, okay. Oh no, like I'm remembering things wrongly. Okay, yeah, so that's that's the correct like timeline. So I got into YC, I did one semester and then I did my two years of national service, then I went back to YC. So that, that explains where all your gigs came from, huh? Now we know. <laughs> during, during your NS time because you're already studying in the conservatory, right? Actually, no, <laughs> no, because most of my gigs came from the NAFA sort of like network back then and the gigs that I was already taking on back when I was in NAFA and in fact YST back then was sort of a, a strange place to me because that was my first semester so I was literally still getting to know people and mm, you know, finding your foothold and, and yeah, stuff exactly. like. yeah exactly yeah so I think okay so if you ask me like when the switch happened right to so I've never like ever imagine that I would be composing or producing music like back then it was just a I just want to play the viola I just want to perform I love performing and I just want to perform and I I would think like there, there was no way ever that I would write my own music like why would why would I want to write my own music like that was the question <laughs> so yeah. yeah so um after national service I remember I still had around four to six months of break before I could go back to my studies at YST. So my viola teacher, like Lionel Tan, he actually threw me an idea. Like, And back then, I, I was still like very serious on becoming a performing musician or a classical like viola player. You know? So mm. he told me that, yeah, I know you're very serious about this, but why not look at the other side of the music industry and use like this time while you can to just explore. And then if you're really serious about it, like, we still can go in this direction, which is completely true. So I actually took his advice and I went to do an internship at a arts company. So they were agents for artists and they were publicists and okay. they produce events as well and they, they manage artists. So it was a sort of an artist management like company and is it a lot of like indie artists and, and stuff? Yes. Yeah. So this is um they're called um nineteen sixty five. And right. they manage artists such as the band Electrical, uh, such as 
Vanessa Fernandez, um, such mm. as um, back then Tank Quartet. Um, yeah. You have the Observatory as well. So it's sort of the indie and the rock and alternative music scene. Yeah. So back then, um, they were the producers for the Singapore Lake of Laneway Festival, which is, um, I think, one of the biggest indie music festivals that come across to Singapore, the region of mm. Singapore. So yeah. they have a lake here, and and nineteen nineteen sixty five was the company that was producing this this lake of of Laneway here. And when I was doing the internship, like I got to experience Laneway. Um, live and that was my first time attending a live music festival yeah so I it was like a huge like um, experience for me because I mean I was always inspired by the intensity yet the intimacy of experiencing live music in a concert hall and and experiencing like great artists like perform right and you, mm. you know you you are inspired by their technique their expression and all that and their musicality so experiencing both alternative music contemporary music electronic music like and, and that was sort of my first like experience or first contact with these things like i i think back then i had this like ipod classic right and 128 gigabytes were all classical music, all like um violin concertos, solo violin pieces, mm. violin sonatas, and yeah. and like all like symphonies and all that. It was just all classical music. So going to Laneway Festival Live was a huge like culture shock for me. And I felt the sort of like power of like music in its universal form. And that's where I connected with like it, it sort of hit a light bulb in my mind that wait a minute like why hadn't I thought of this before like that music is music and performing is performing and I could find these inspirations like elsewhere not just in classical music not just in the violin or the viola um, mm. not just in a concert hall setting but there, there's so many other dimensions and possibilities to music not just in terms of genres as well and things like that so it really hit my mind especially back then as an intern like having to like I think I remember like I I had to bring water around the whole festival ground and mm-hmm. during my breaks right I would actually go backstage to watch the performances afar from behind the stage and just okay. looking at the artists like perform on their stage right which were like the band Haim James Blake St. Vincent, I mean, those two years, like, you have, like, John Hopkins, you have Rusty, um, all these, like, electronic and indie names. Mm. Um, watching them do their thing live was equally as amazing as watching um, my classical music heroes live. So the moment you realise that, wow, this new genre of music, it's, it's amazing, it's so cool, and there's so much possibility here that you can kind of sink your teeth into, right? Was there a part of you, because you, like you said, you're so deeply embedded in classical music. Did you feel like it was weird that you like it and you thought that it was cool? Were you at any point like somewhat ashamed to tell people that you actually take a liking to this type of music? Actually, no. Uh, I think definitely not ashamed because I think I was still approaching all these new music, right, from a very classical school of thought kind of way back then. Mm. So 
I didn't sort of assign it like a genre or like, you know, oh, I'm listening to Lady Gaga now. I'm listening to like, it didn't like, oh, I'm listening to pop music. It didn't come across like that. It was just a, like my ears open up to a new, like all these new sounds and new like structures of sounds, textures of sounds. And it was just taking it all in. At that point of time still, I didn't think that I would actually cross over to do something electronic. I, at that point of time, it was a, wow, this is amazing. And I just want to consume more of this and experience mm. more of this. So, And I started to like follow more of these acts and do some research and watch their other performances, listen to their albums. Back then, like doing all this, like I was still true and true like a violist. And I was mm. still like true and true. Like I, I didn't had in mind like okay I'm gonna do this it was I think it was a very gradual hypnotizing switch I didn't even sort of notice that I would actually switch over to this sort of world it was a back then I, I still thought like okay I'm still gonna be a violist it's just that I find this all so amazing I see okay so how did the uh, Empty Blue Sky Productions come about then? Okay, what impacted me from listening to all this new music, like new music to me back then, right, mm. is that I realized that I should approach music and the presentation of music in a more open way to be more open-minded and, and also try and find new connections when I perform. And it's not just about performing well. It's not just about like you are a good performer, but it's more than that. How do you reach out to your audience? How do you like, how how do you make it an interesting program for them and things like that. So I, I had these questions in mind and I started to try and explore with new sounds and new ways of presenting sounds throughout my journey mm. in YC Conservatory. And I gradually started to explore producing and composing and creating my own sounds within the computer, first with the viola and then after that, like completely without it. And then I think that's where I started composing a lot of media music. So I I actually wanted to switch to become a composer in YST. But one of my composition profs, he actually advised me that it's better to be a viola player and be able to compose rather than be a composer without being able to play the viola. Okay, yeah. I understand. Yeah. yeah, so I was actually... um composing more first and producing my own stuff and with mm. that I was inspired to actually I think with the student concert stuff in YST as well as like anytime I could present something I was inspired to push the boundaries as much as possible and I started to realize that I had to bring in or I was inspired to bring in a visual component to that so mm, okay I was starting to explore um, more visual stuff and because being in that ecosystem of most of my friends were in the music circle, um, so I didn't have anyone to sort of talk to with regard to visual stuff. So, mm-hmm. I, and I wasn't attending a lot of um, visual events in Singapore as well um, as compared to currently. So I, yep. I was sort of in this closed loop by myself and I started to... The same way I started to explore electronic music, I started to explore the visual sort of side of things. How how mm. do I pair visuals to music to create that 
coherence within the experiences that I was trying to create in my performances and how do I make sense of that and how does that help the audience or not and I was experimenting with a lot of this so I started to mm. learn how to do like the basic things photography videography um, video editing and how I could push the limits of these disciplines as well to marry mm. the experience so then I guess soon after like YST I started to I think my first collaborators were actually musicians and I recall like one of the very first things that I did was to collaborate with Reverberance Ensemble mm. it's all sona drums and correct percussion and winds yeah. so it's very intense music but at the same time there's a lot of sensitivities and um, the composer and music producer Dane Dane Ng, who also is from Nafa, he was yeah. the one who invited me to do something with them for one of their shows, and I sort of did something visual with them mm. as the Empty Blue Sky Productions. Right, a lot of my first sort of like collaborations were actually from musicians or music groups. So you know, I, I like what you said about the visual element needs to be enhancing the experience of the concert or the music rather than it being there for the sake of being there uh, because we want some kind of visual element so we just throw something together. But like what you said, it's so important to kind of think through it and have this kind of cohesiveness in the end product. So my next question to you is your productions and your multimedia designs, right? How did you develop your taste uh, in the aesthetics of the design and how it looked? Was it like through reading? How, uh, did you research? And how did you... Like, I, I'm sure at this point of time, when you are looking at the space, you can already visualize the possibilities for that venue and what you can do and probably what wouldn't work as well. Am I right to say that? Yeah, so how I approach things, right, is with visual stuff and spatial stuff and with regard to like production design, right, it's really all from a musical point of view as well. So in my mind, exactly like what you said, so the coherence part, right? The visuals in my mind are actually a part of the chamber music sort of connection when the performance is going on. And even if it's not a performance or, or musical performance, even if it's a theatre play or let's say a, a dance sort of movement-based work, right? It's also that sort of like chamber music experience when all the elements come together from the space mm. to the lights to visuals, if there are any, and also how does the audience experience those things. I think there's a very direct correlation to how we actually approach chamber music and that has always been um, my approach. Okay, so now let's take an example, right? Uh, if, if you don't mind, could you talk us through yeah. roughly the kind of process? Let's just take the, the Valkyrie project because that was the one that I'm also involved in. Mm. What was your role in that project and what was sort of the thought behind it? Cool. So that was a really exciting and challenging project and it was like the first project of like 2020. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I I was sort of the, I was the multimedia designer for um, that production for OMS production of um, the Valkyrie. Mm. And my job was to work with um, the director 
Edith Podesta as well as the music director, Prof Chan. Yeah. Um, and the rest of the creative team, the production manager, the lighting designer, the production designer, to work out something that could blend visually and that could help the production. So it, it, with this huge production, right, it was a, it was really, really, it depended a lot on a team effort. It depended a lot on, say, an orchestra working together, right? It depended a lot on us trying to synergize these elements together. So you were asking me about the process behind it, right? Mm. So um, I think first was to sort of extract the vision from the performers, which was Om, as well as um, Edith's vision for the production. Mm. So based on that, um, we kind of had certain aesthetic decisions to make and, and also I had to synchronize with what the set design was with um, the set designer Andy from Art Factory. Okay. If I'm not wrong. Yes. So it's to work out all these elements and then from there find out what are the possibilities that I could do within that visually mm. and then to work out what makes sense musically with Wagner's opera. Yeah. I think that's the most important thing to come across, right? So I think how I would describe it to everyone, it's it's a puzzle that you have to work through because mm. you have to fit in all these pieces. It's not like, here's a blank canvas, go and do whatever you want. It's yeah. uh, th- There are a lot of these pieces that you need to fit together. Yeah. yeah. So were you in charge of that, that fire at the end? Yes. The, the fire was something that I, I sort of recorded live. <laughs> to, like to, this was real flame or... This was real flame. This is real fire. So, wow, okay. So I think most of the things inside were derived from real things. I think other than the mountains, which were a combination of um, digital sketching as well as collaging. And then um, the pre-film elements, which we could actually like sort of um, pre-shoot and pre-direct the the cast. So that was, that was a great help as well. And then... Um, the sort of tree, the great ash tree was was all our trees from Singapore. Mm. So, <laughs> yeah. Everything looks beautiful. I remember uh, doing the, the first run. It was amazing. Cool, thanks. Super duper interesting. Before I ask you the next question, so I had asked you this question of uh, which was your most uh, memorable collaboration in your career so far. And mm. of course, you've gotten back to me about this uh, short film by Celsia called yep. Later. And actually, when I was, before you told me about this film, I came across and I watched it and I, I love it. Super duper interesting. Uh, <laughs> so so clever, subtle, but really, really strong message. Wow, Sal will be like super elated to hear these comments. Great, I love it. Like the message that was being sent across. So I, I was same thing, I'll provide the link and I think everybody should watch it if you're a musician or you're a practitioner, uh, you should find that the film has a lot of meaning. So what I heard from a segment of the film is how one of the characters said that as artists, you don't only do your own discipline, but you, uh, as a painter, maybe you also act, you also sing, you also play music yeah. and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And you having this sort of uh, background when you were younger, doing different forms of theatre and experience 
uh, exposed to different types of arts and music and now you are doing design. How important do you think it is for arts practitioner to practice other forms of art out of their own discipline? Well, I think it's it's not a like, oh, it's really important for everyone to experience these when they're young, but it's more, I think what's important is understanding the language a bit. So we talk about when, when we were musicians back in Nafa, but now the, the sort of like music education landscape, right, involves a lot of how you're going to put yourself out there where now musicians are putting themselves on online and also having to collaborate a lot more mm. and not just with other musicians, but with other creators, with other artists, with other art forms. And I think it, it's really important to understand that language a little bit so that it sort of helps you to see what the possibilities are, what the similarities are. And also when you work with someone from a different genre, discipline or art form, it also smoothens that process where mm. you are able to understand each other. Yeah, I think the part of mm. like conversing with some of the maybe slightly more technical terms, understanding what those terms means would definitely help. Mm. So with that being said, right, so actually this was a conversation that I've just had with uh, one of our mutual friends, Don. Uh, mm. I was hanging out with him yesterday and we, we, were speak, we were talking about this. Do you remember that when we were studying in NAFA, we had to take this module called Singapore Art Scenes? Oh, yes. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. I don't know about you, but when I was taking the module, we had to take three art scenes, right? One of it is music. Yeah. And we have to pick two more. Yeah. And I had, very, very little interest in the the other two. I had to take it, but I, I basically picked anything that doesn't have any assessment. <laughs> Which ones do you, do you take? I think I did theatre and then I did fine arts. Uh, theatre was quite common. I did theatre also, but then I did... Uh, I can't even remember the third one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do, do you think that... Uh, now on hindsight, do you think that this is actually an opportunity lost? Because... If we were to put you with uh, whatever you're doing now into a position like that, it would be wonderful, isn't it? The, the kind of projects and possibilities that would come out of it. No, I think that module actually helped me <laughs> because okay. I think when starting to go into the Singapore art scene, sort of, when when Singapore is actually a really like um enclosed space or a really populated space where everything travels so quickly and everyone knows each other in the art scene it was definitely an advantage to have some background knowledge of say the theatre scene um, how they develop and things like that and so those actually and even the music scene like when when I was starting to to do gigs and stuff like that as well as working with um, design projects with musicians and stuff like that it definitely helped but mm. I must say back then in Nafa, when we were doing that, like definitely the attitude wasn't the same. It was uh, like, I just want to practice and why am mm. I doing this? And yes. Then, yeah. And also it didn't help that some of the lectures were a little bit dry and like the kind of like PowerPoint slide thing and then we are just going through and then so it didn't really excite. Um, the students a lot as well like mm. why would I want to learn about dance why would I want to learn about theatre yeah because I, I'm now thinking back I think the possibilities of having say your graduating recital to collaborate with say a dancer that could be interesting 
to be collaborating with a, a theatre practitioner could also be interesting. And these are all fellow students that are also that would probably be willing to experiment with um, different types of uh, presentation styles and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, nothing better than to ex- do all this sort of like experimentation when you're in school, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I remember in NAFA, we did have actually a cross-disciplinary module between the music department as well as the dance department if I'm not wrong but then I think very few of our seniors did it and when it came down to our batch I th- if I'm not wrong either the module was in its last year or it was already gone by then but I remember some of my seniors in NAFA actually took that cross-disciplinary module mm. but it was still a very like it was led by led very strongly by by our lecturers and then it was a it, it still didn't, it, it's not as organic as if you were interested in doing something with like an artist or a dancer or something like that and then you breach that gap yourself and then you try and tackle that. Yeah. Yeah. True. Uh, when I was talking to him, this was just something that we were talking about. I think on high side, um, yeah, there, there were a lot of missed opportunities starting at NAFA where it is a arts academy where you have so many different disciplines just across the road or perhaps even in the same building. Yeah. But no collaboration actually took place, which is a little bit odd to me. Yeah. Yeah. In in fact, I would actually say like in my later years in YST and along with my my classmates as well as my juniors, right, I realised that the most important thing, right, was actually going to arts events and not just going to the music events, but mm. going to experimental music events, going to electronic music events, going to art gallery openings, going to um, there are a lot of more grungy uh, like sort of exhibitions led by younger visual artists and and a lot of like collaboration within the art scene in Singapore and and I think that was a really important thing to do because once you start going to these events you start to not only get fascinated by all the things that you are not familiar with, but you also get to see familiar faces soon after and then you get to make new friends and new collaborations often come out from there. Beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely. I think uh, you are super experienced in this, so I must. I, I can only agree. I, my, <laughs> I find myself like guilty for not going for, for this kind of events. Over the last year or so, the way I've been thinking about presenting music has also slightly changed to, to mm. embrace kind of like the wider possibilities and stuff like that. So definitely, I, I absolutely agree with you. If you want to kind of broaden this sort of spectrum, the best way is to just get out there and meet more people. And I think earlier I mentioned to you like why, like I think previously in a, in a chat or something, I, ma- I mentioned to you how the collaboration with uh, Sao where we produce a short film later was such an important one because I think through that collaboration, I actually met different um, people in the art scene, people who were producers, people who were artists, people who were writers. Mm. And actually through that collaboration, I met currently my sort of like manager, producer and like publicist, um, Racy Lim, mm-hmm. who runs this 
creative sort of like agency called Such a Mood and she worked on my branding for Planeswalker and and thereafter like a, through that collaboration as well like I met a lot of other friends who were in all sorts of disciplines and genres and that was a really like it's a domino effect once it starts so I think I always share with my juniors or my friends like always like go to events and talk to people and go to events that you are not familiar with because you will find something that fascinates you that you don't know before. Yeah. Mm, definitely. And I understand that uh, you and Ray C are going to co-produce a podcast that is going to come out as in about a month or two. Yes, <laughs> it's still in in its like planning forms, and yeah, we've sort of like highlighted who we might want to invite to the show, and yeah, it's still going along. Yeah, and so podcasting is for me really really fun and interesting. So mm. uh, I would hope that both of you would have the uh, same kind of uh, excitement and joy when you're producing a podcast. Uh, do let me know when the podcast is out. I will definitely uh, be one of your followers. Do you just want to talk about what sort of topics you'll be covering in the podcast generally? Cool, yeah. Thanks Thanks so much. Yeah, looking forward to producing it as well. With this podcast, I think we're still sort of deciding on the name and things like that. And mm. But with it, we are both very interested in sharing open dialogues about arts, culture, and media practitioners. So across like genre, discipline, and stuff like that. I think our first, the first three people that we are talking to come from quite a varied background and we are interested to like episode by episode, like break that down and talk to them and listen to what they have to share as well. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Sounds like something that would be very, very insightful for all sorts of arts practitioners to just get to know more about what's going on in the country and what are the other kind of work that other artists are doing in the country, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, um, good. I think uh, it's about time to wrap up now. Uh, this has been an absolutely amazing session, Mervin. Uh, thank you so much for coming onto the show uh, and being so open to share your career developments Cool, yeah, thanks for having me. I think I really had a very fun time today talking to you. And actually, this is like my first podcast like episode, like being on a podcast. Yeah, yeah. no worries. <laughs> uh, I mean, when this is uh, released, it will be my seventh. So I'm not too far away. So Wow. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know, uh, it's still kind of relatively new for me as well. Uh, but I hope you enjoyed yourself. And like I said, once, once again, thank you so much for uh, your time and your efforts and your sharing for today. Yeah, thank you, Vincent. And if you want to find out more about Mervin's work, you can visit his Instagram and Facebook page. His handle is planeswalker00 or at facebook.com slash planeswalker00. Uh, and also his website for Planeswalker, which is at planeswalker.space and his website for his very own the Empty Blue Sky production, which is theemptybluesky.productions. On top of that, his latest album, Perihelion, is on Spotify. I will provide all the links in the show description. And on that note, 
we will sign off on this episode of You Play A What. You have been listening to You Play A What, hosted by Vincent Tan. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play or What? Until next time. Thank you.